0: Attention listeners, do you ever find yourself struggling to decide what to watch on a Saturday night when you're in the mood for horror? Or perhaps you're trying to round out your own horror film education. In either case, I'm sure you'll be able to make some great discoveries in my 10 x 10 horror watch list, featuring a breakdown of the 10 favorite horror movies from 10 renowned horror directors. We did a deep dive of the favorite horror movies from directors including Guillermo del Toro, Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, James Gunn, Rob Zombie, Martin Scorsese, and many, many more. Here you'll find a collection of each director's favorite horror movies, along with quotes about what they appreciated about the films, all in an easy-to-reference PDF that you can download absolutely free. Featuring a mix of well-worn classics and deep cuts, hopefully you'll discover some overlooked gems and look at old classics through new lenses. Download the 10x10 Horror Watch list for free by visiting nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. That's nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. Welcome back to the Nick Taylor Horror Show, episode one hundred. As always, each episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show explores how today's horror filmmakers are getting their movies made while deconstructing their methods and career strategies into practical insights that you can use on your own horror filmmaking journey. This includes their creative processes, funding resources, favorite books and tools, key life lessons, and much, much more. I have a very special episode in store today, one that should put a smile on all of your faces. That's right, Parker Finn is in the house. Parker is a man who should need no introduction for us horror fans, as the director behind one of this year's breakout hits, Smile. First of all, I owe an enormous thank you to my friend, Joe Russo, who made this interview happen. Joe, you're the best, and I thank you very, very much. So Parker has obviously been doing a lot of interviews recently, and I made a real effort to make my questions as unique as possible. As a result, we got into a lot of the details around the craft of Smile, including how he worked with his actors, how he worked with his DP, his approach to the edit, and his keys to crafting effective scares, amongst other things. One thing we didn't get into very much was the overall origin story about how Smile, Parker's very first feature, came to be story's been told quite a few times, but I will give you the short version right here. In 2020, after struggling as a filmmaker in Los Angeles for about eight years, Parker made a short film called Laura Hasn't Slept for about $30,000. Laura Hasn't Slept ultimately got into South by Southwest, where it won the Grand Jury Award, and shortly thereafter got the attention of Paramount, who then offered Parker the opportunity to direct a feature adaptation, which turned into Smile. Smile was originally intended to go straight to streaming on Paramount+, Plus, but after a series of overwhelmingly positive audience reaction tests, Smile was given a wide theatrical release. To date, Smile has made over $200 million at the box office, making it one of the highest grossing horror movies of all time, which, for a first-time director, is really fucking cool. For a more comprehensive deep dive into Parker's origin story, definitely check out Mick Garris' conversation with Parker on the Postmortem Podcast. I listened to that right before doing this interview to make sure we didn't cover the same ground, so the two are very complimentary if you want a fuller picture. Anyhow, without further ado, here is the director of Smile, Mr. Parker Finn. Parker, great to see you. How's it going?
1: I'm good, thank you for having me
0: good thank you for being here really really psyched to talk to you um as a you know first time director 200 plus million at the box office it's it's gotta feel good um i feel like we're in this wonderful era for horror and i feel like the horror crowd pleaser is back there's smile there's barbarian terrifier 2 pearl x i mean there's so much incredible stuff that's that's out now when it comes to horror what was opening weekend like for you
1: yeah, so I <clears throat> I snuck into like two theaters um, opening weekend, and um, both here in LA, and um, and I mean they were prime time <clears throat> showings, but both were sold out. So that was like the best way to to see the uh, the movie was with a totally packed house. Um, you know, it was it was incredible. It's it's it was so um, you know you you spend all this time making something, you know, like loving it so dearly holding it so close, uh, you know, and then finally you're sort of like handing it over to the world and it's like, it's no longer yours. It doesn't belong to you as the filmmaker anymore. It's, it's the audiences now, um, for, for better or worse. And, um, you know, it, it, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's really gratifying to like be in the room and, and hear the movie sort of, um, doing its thing on, on people and hearing all of the, the, you know, the screams and and the laughs and all that stuff, um, you know, it was really fun. But I mean, yeah, opening weekend was was really. I was just like a total bundle of nerves. Yeah, I can uh, imagine my, my first time through it, and 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 you know, just have no idea how people are going to react to it. Um, so yeah, it was it was very exciting, but uh, but very nerve wracking at the same time.
0: Nice. <laughs> so this being your first feature, um, and with a, a studio like Paramount. What did you do to prepare? Because clearly, you know you've been you've been working as a filmmaker for a long time. but what steps did you take to prep for an undertaking like this once you got the green light? I mean,
1: <clears throat> you know I made shorts previously, and like that's that was a really good training ground um for for myself, but there's what I discovered is there's very little that can prepare you to step into directing a um a studio feature. I mean, you know, we are, for a studio film, it's, it's a modest, I, I guess, kind of modest budget. I mean, I, I, I'm well aware that, like, as a first-time filmmaker, I had, like, uh, enormous resources compared to most. And yeah, I'm extremely grateful and, and lucky that that happened. But, um, but still, I mean, it, it was huge. It was, everything was, was you know, uh, you know, sort of made a million times bigger you know like every, every there's a million more decisions you have to make there's so many more people that you're working with um there is you know the, the the stakes are much 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 higher when you're spending somebody else's uh millions of dollars yeah um but you know i i it was really about you know i tend to be somebody who goes very 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 um uh hard on on prep i love prep it's one of my you know the part of the process that feels, um, you know, really, really important to me. And, um, you know, everything from like, I, you know, I, I shot list my whole script before I get into production. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I love to be, I I sort of feel like there's no version of being over prepared. Mm. Um, and, and it's like worth it for me, it's always worth, um, just like constantly, working at the project, even though, you know, we, when you're in prep, you're, you're spending how many hours a day in, in the production office. But then, you know, I would, I would go home at night and I'd keep working on on whatever it is I was working on. And just, you know, it, it, it sort of like has to become the only thing in your life while you're doing it. Um, which is, which, which is what's great about going, you know, we went and shot this movie in, in New Jersey and I live in Los Angeles. Um, And so, what's great is that you know, I was I was in this tiny little apartment in Hoboken, so like, you know, there was nothing else for me to do. (laughs) It was just like I I, I, I could take my my work home with me, and I didn't have to like think about like you know uh, like the mail piling up or or any of the other stuff. But um, but I digress. You know, I think it's it's a it's a it's a huge step, and you sort of have to like be able to break it down and kind of like workable little chunks of so yeah. you're, you're kind of you're kind of building the movie brick by brick so that you're you're as prepared as
0: possible when you get to day one. Makes sense. And you um the kind your kind of origin story has been well told, you know. Um you did a very comprehensive backstory with uh on mix podcast. Um and obviously your short was a really big door opener for you. It you you put a, a lot of time, effort, money into it. It looks awesome. Um it did really, really well at South by and it seemed to lead to a lot of doors being open. So from that perspective, what do you think filmmakers should put into their shorts? Cause it seems like it is, it's a calling card and it should showcase your sensibility and it should showcase your other showmanship. Like what are the things that you feel are important to put into your short so that it, it can be that effective door opener?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard to say because like, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's kind of like asking like, uh, what, what sort of, you know, what do you want to put into a, a house to build the best house? Mm. It's like, well, what, I don't know. What kind of house do you want to have? You know? like, <laughs> yeah, um, sense. the, the, you know, for sort of my, my perspective on it is that, um, you know, I think a short should hopefully feel like, uh, a you want to feel that the filmmaker behind it was like deeply passionate about it and and that it was something that they that they wanted to uh make for its own sake i think that a lot like anything that feels sort of like you know somebody is trying to scheme with a short or you know they're trying to create something that is just like a you know, a, a, a commercial for something bigger, or um, they're trying to jump on some kind of um, recent trend with shorts. Like, you know, I, I feel like David F. Sandberg, like, really just, uh, you know, fucked up a whole generation of short filmmakers <laughs> with lights out because suddenly, suddenly there was like, you know, 10,000 different sort of knockoffs of, of lights out floating around out there. But like that, you know, that was his thing in the way that it was so fresh when he did it. Right. Um, but, but every, I think, you know, people were trying to like chase that, be like, Oh, he did that. So like, that's all I have to do is like make a, another lights out. But it's like, you know, lights out is like the Beatles. It's only going to happen once, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that it's really important that like short films should, um, should be sort of like an, an authentic expression of, of, of who the, filmmaker like wants to be like what they want to do what they're really interested in um i think like more practically for example um I, I the things that i find sort of really successful with shorts um is you know i think i think a a short should should have at least you know one thing inside of it where uh the the viewer is like caught off guard hmm. that like oh wow i can't believe they were able to pull this off in a short um, right. I think, like, that is always really, like, like like sort of turns heads where somebody is like, oh, wow, like, how did they do that as a short film? Like, that's really interesting. Um, and then I think, you know, the other side of it is, uh, you know, if you're making horror shorts, I think trying to, um, trying to do, like, one thing really well hmm. rather than a whole bunch of stuff or tell a whole big, long story, if you can kind of um, tell a short that is, like, one movement, one expression of something – um, those tend to to feel really successful because the, the short form is so. It's hard, you know. Like you can't like shove a whole feature story into it. It's right. hard. it's like you, you kind of want to just tell one thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful.
0: No, it's super helpful. I think it makes a lot of sense because I think with with shorts, especially when people put money into it, they want to throw everything. You know, but the kitchen sink at it. But I think having that singularity yeah. of vision seems like it's a really important, an important thing to just showcase, you know, your ability to focus as a director, if anything, because that, that seems like it's yeah. critical. Um, would love to get into the, the, the craft of of Smile. I remember you in a previous interview had talked about how you don't find a horror movie scary unless you genuinely care about the characters. So would love to hear about how you crafted the characters because the way the movie operates i 've seen it twice now, and the second time you know it was in the context of this interview um, you don 't weigh the movie down with a lot of exposition or you know all this character building, but you really care about uh, really care about Rose. you get a good sense of everything, but the movie flies like a bullet too it moves it 's a rapid pace. But you still, it still does have a lot of emotional gravity. So, would love to hear about your approach to crafting characters that you care about, but also your approach to crafting like a really formidable, you know, for lack of a better term, villain or monster or you know, threat in this case. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I always try to um, with features. I'm always trying to start with um, with character. I think that you know, I. It's sort of what I find the most compelling. I mean, yeah, like I, I love the stuff that goes bump in the night, but the, the, for me, I think it's, it's all sort of needs to be filtered through the lens of the character yeah. because that, that lets me know sort of like how to feel about it. Um, and you know, I, I, Rose's story was one that I that just sort of like had its hooks in me that I was like really, um, you know. Interested to tell And You know I think it's It's about um, Because the movie Goes to such Really like Heightened uh, Kind of Extraordinary Crazy places um, It was always Really important to me To, to start the character Really like Grounded And, and You know Honest feeling mm-hmm. And um, And somebody That hopefully You know You know I put a lot of myself Into Rose um, And I'm hoping That like You know some people might, might be able to relate to her and, 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 and feel like they understand, you know, what it is that she's going through and, and feeling and experiencing. And, um, you know, and it's just about for me when, when I'm sort of crafting the story, it's, it's, you know, where she's at, at it, like as a character is sort of driving the plot versus yeah. the other way around. Um, at least that's my approach. That's, that's what I, I find interesting um and then you know on, on the flip side of that coin uh, as far as like you know the creating the the idea of of uh, the sort of the the smiler in the film um you know I it, it was sort of like fine-tuned uh to be like the the worst thing for Rose like mm. that was <laughs> like uh that was like a big part of of its of its design and what it does and how it's operating um was to be like you know what is what is the worst version of this sort of like supernatural entity curse thing that um like for rows specifically yeah um so that that was kind of how i, I built that out and then just you know I, I i always look inwards at like what scares me and what i think would be fun and how i what an audience might you know i, lo- I love to sort of if i can teach an audience to how how to watch a film and then mm. and then start upending that and changing that as it goes along so that i can hopefully like you know keep them on their toes or, or or you know knock them back on their heels constantly um you know i think like that's a really fun way to
0: approach hmm. uh a,
1: an antagonist like like
0: in smile well that's interesting so teach the audience how to how to view a certain film is that a matter of like lulling them into a sense of them thinking they know where things are going and then pulling the rug out from under them
1: yeah exactly and 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 like you know you because it for me, I, I like to think that it can work both ways. That like if it, you can you can get them extra nervous about something when when now they're like oh man like I, like now I understand what the film is doing it's, and that that's freaking me out because you know I, I'm really nervous about the thing that I know that's coming right. and then when you shift it and suddenly it's like. Oh no, like I didn't know that the film could do this. Um it like it, I don't know it's a, it's a fun way of sort of like toying with expectations. Um you know, ho- hopefully if it's if it's done correctly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, this was hands down the scariest movie of the year. It's genuinely really, really terrifying. Thank you. I clearly watch a lot of horror. I think it's hard to scare audiences now because I feel like audiences have a real sense of they know when a jump scare is coming. They kind of have that jump scare radar. They've seen a lot of plots and a lot of concepts and devices. And, you know, the weathered horror fan is tough to scare. And I think that you did some very oh, unique, yeah. scary things. So um, I was wondering about the craft of crafting Fright in this in this case. I mean, you talked about the villain. I think there is something very terrifying about being stalked by some entity that only you can see that completely upends your entire life, like uh, like in your movie and like in <laughs> Candyman, where you're like you're the only one who sees it, and just you, that alone is terrifying. Um, but curious about how you built the fear element.
1: Well, well first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, that that means a lot. Um, you know, I I always like. I mean, I always start with like, again, looking inward at at what scares me. You know, I think that, you know, the idea of, of, you know, something coming into your life and then systematically pulling it apart and isolating you and, you know, putting you in a place where nobody around you believes you like that terrifies me. Um, I think not being believed is probably a universal fear. Um, But, you know, I think that there's with, with the, like, I love a good jump scare, I know that uh, there's a lot of people that will never enjoy a jump scare, and that is fine. And everybody is totally welcome to their own tastes and opinion. Um, But, you know, for me, I think a jump scare should be uh, hopefully well-earned or, or have, um, you know, like a really great sort of like setup and unexpected payoff. Um, you know, that the timing and pacing of that is really important. Um, or, you know, like sometimes there's like a fun thing to do, like to, to, it, you know, if you're trying to mess with the audience a little bit, you know, like a, if you, there can be some amount of like irony to it mm. or something like that. But, but, um, you know, when I was like looking at how, why the film is sort of, filled with, with uh jump scares, you know, I, I really wanted to sort of pair Rose's experience with the audience's experience. So this this like supernatural thing that comes into her life, its whole plan is to traumatize her and 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 over and over again and break her down so that like it can get her to the place where it can it can sort of like fully, you know, uh engulf her. Yeah. And um so so the idea for me in this was to sort of like you know thematically i wanted the the jump scares to be working on the audience the same way that it's like the you know we are experiencing what rose is experiencing Mm. we're going through that same thing we're being sort of like systematically worn down by this and 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 sort of like traumatized over and over um so that we also get to the place that that rose is at the end of the film um that was sort of like the, the the concept behind it but but you know what's Important outside of the jump scares, at least for me, um, but more important, honestly, is the, is the you know, I wanted to build this, like, creeping sense of, of dread and anxiety that just permeates everything, you know, that just, like, doesn't let go of the viewer. I was hoping that, like, from the opening frame, people would sort of, you know, feel off kilter and get uncomfortable and that, like, you know, I can just keep, like, ratcheting that more and more and more so that, like, you know, they're just you know, upside down in their seats by, by, uh, you know, the third act of the film um, with, with discomfort, you know, that was, that was the goal. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then these moments of these big jumps that come in, they, 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 punctuate that, but there's hopefully no like real relief after them either. You know, there's this sense of like, well, it's still not safe. Right. It's, and, 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 yeah. And then, you know, the other, like a, a third element of that is also, um, you know, my my DP Charlie Seroff and I, and my editor Elliot Greenberg, we talked a lot about um, about negative space and like how we can build um, just this like gnawing sense of fear mm. about what might happen constantly. Um, there was a big part of that that went into crafting the film that like things that that don't happen, but getting the audience nervous that something might constantly.
0: Right, right. Well, from that perspective how much of crafting the tension and the anxiety, how much of that is intuition versus like science? Like in other words, are you, did you have any sort of kind of analytical beat sheets? Like, okay, we let a little tension out here and now we have to ratchet it up. Or was it just a matter of, you know, intuition? How much of that is science versus intuition?
1: Yeah, I think it's intuition. It's just, I think it's it's instinct. Um, I mean, you know, the the, like when you're, at least for me, when I'm writing um, and and when we're in production, you know, we're sort of, I, you know, all that stuff is in the script, and then and then we sort of hold that as as the the, the you know the, the guiding light for how we're doing everything in production. Mm-hmm. And then when you get into post, of course, um, when you're when you're in the edit, you you then go in and start fine tuning and changing and, and, and really making it work. So I think like to cap to to create it and capture it is all instinct and intuition and then when you're in post like you have the opportunity to to take what you've done and and finesse it into place and sometimes you know i mean i think a scare or even like a scary scene is you know it's like a joke or a funny scene where like it it doesn't really work on on you as the person who who put it together and sees where all of the the band-aids and stuff are Mm. so you have to also start like testing it on people so we you know we would we would have um you know, either like the assistant editor, or you know, somebody else like come in and plop them down on, on the couch, and like you know, just constantly be testing stuff and see if we can get uh, you know reactions.
0: And, oh, that's and, awesome! You know what was working and stuff like yeah. that. So, well, I'd love to talk about your collaborators and how you worked with them, and namely your 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 DP Charlie Saroff, who who did Relic, which I was I was a really big fan of, but also um also your editor, who I believe was on set with you, right? Didn't you have your editor present throughout the course of shooting?
1: No. So Elliot, Elliot Greenberg, my editor, um, was, uh, he was back in LA and, you know, they were, uh, uh, piping
0: dailies
1: over to him every day. And so, and so we would, we would connect, like I would call him from set sometimes, you know, to, to talk through something. Um, but then on the weekends we were getting on, um, on, uh, this, uh, sort of like remote editing program, Evercast. Mm Um, and, and, you know, he was, sort of showing me the mess I had made (laughs) that week, Um, (laughs) you know, and and just making sure that we were, we were accountable for everything. But no, I, once I got back, I jumped right into the, uh, into the, you know, into the suite with him, like literally, I don't know, two days after I got back. Yeah. So he, he was not on on set, but he, I, we were talking
0: constantly. Okay. Got it. Got it.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, my, my uh, Charlie, my, my DP and I, we, we started, um, very early on talking through everything. I mean, like I said earlier, you know, I, 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 for me, I'm a, I'm a very heavy shot lister. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I don't like, I, I, I'm not a fan of like shooting standard coverage. I really like to sort of like, um, try to make everything as bespoke as I possibly can. And, and, um, and, you know, allow the camera to really be part of, of telling the story and, 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 you know, help, helping the audience sort of like feel you know what what i'm hoping uh to, to make them feel but um you know so we we did a, a lot of um work together early on and, and all the way through prep um just constantly refining what we were going to do and mm-hmm. figuring out how can we you know and of course there's a lot of like we watched a lot of movies we traded a lot of references uh, we talked a lot about lighting and but you know we sort of set um uh we created a set of rules for ourselves hmm. to, to sort of follow throughout the whole thing that involved, you know, how we were going to shoot Rose, how we were going to shoot the environments, how we were going to shoot anybody that she's talking to and sort of creating this like really, really specific visual film language. Um, and then, and then sticking to that. And, 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 you know, that was definitely um, sort of like a, a, a really important thing that, that went beyond just, myself and Charlie I mean you know uh the same sort of thing with like my production designer Lester Cohen and costume designer Alexis Forte um you know we it was all about like trying to create sort of like this this sort of singular uh look and feel to the film and and then you know Elliot and I we we talked a lot about um on on the on the front side of like what I was hoping the film would feel like, how certain scenes would feel and how, how they could play and the mix of tones. You know, I wanted to create a film that is like, you know, it's like hopefully like it's designed to scare you. Like that was, that was the idea, but that like tension and anxiety and dread were like a huge, huge, huge backbone to the whole thing. But also like, I really love, you know, if I can get an audience like sort of like squirming and laughing nervously, um, I love that. Like if I can, if people are both like, really freaked out and laughing at the mm. same time. Um, I love like little moments that, that can come like unexpectedly in the film, um, you know, where, where uh, like the laugh is the goal and yet people still leave it un, unsettled. Like right, it's, right. that's really fun for me. Um, but you know, pacing was a big discussion that we had, uh, myself and my editor and about like letting certain moments live and breathe and like, you know, um, the way that we were going to stay in certain shots and, you know, it's, it's all, it's all a learning curve. But I think like once you start putting it together, like the film starts telling you what it wants to be. And like, Mm -hmm. hopefully all the, all the stuff you did during prep and production is translating to post. I mean, of course you're, you're, you're changing things at that point, but that like you've sort of um, created a, a a pathway for yourself.
0: Very cool. So throughout the course of the movie, there, are there's so many scenes and depictions of human drama that are really, really intense. Um, And I'm wondering what was your, and, and observing them... Um, watching the movie the second time, I couldn't help but think like, wow, this is really, really emotionally very strong and very raw. But this so easily could have gone off the rails. If it was like 1% off, the level of believability just would not have been as effective. And I feel like it's such a razor thin margin, you know, between being over the top, not being emotional enough. And I felt like, you know, the movie just absolutely nailed the human drama element so i was wondering how did you work with your actors specifically Sosie on being able to bring her to such a deep dark place so many times throughout the movie i mean <laughs> it just things just get worse and worse for her but her emotions are just palpably raw and feel really really real so i'm wondering what did what was that process like with her
1: yeah Well, I'm, 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 I'm happy that you said that. I mean, you know, so like I made this movie to sort of be, you know, a bit of like a love letter to like the sort of like curse chain movies that I've always found like really fun and, 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 you know, something very creepy about that idea. Um, But, you know, it, they're ridiculous. Like, like the, the, the external plot elements are, are so absurd that I feel like, you know, I wanted to see if I could do that, but also like, Really, really ground a character that you cared about in the middle of all of that, and and and, and make it feel like make it feel like it has some weight, um, and and so yeah, that was where you know all that character melodrama, like I, that's all the stuff that really interests me, and and I love that all that's happening in the middle of this really ridiculous thing, um, and you know w- working with Sosie, I mean, one of the reasons that I that I cast Sosie in the role was because. Um, I, I, well, A, I mean, she, she, when we first met, she was just saying, you know, all, all the right things about how, you know, the, the way she was thinking about story and character and the script uh, was really, really smart and really mature. And, and um, you know, she, she has such a great grasp of storytelling and um, and then she was looking for something that was going to, to challenge her and scare her as, as a, as an actor um and this this role is like really really difficult i mean rose is in almost every single scene of the film almost every frame and um and you know she's gotta you know what what she's so good at is that she can really ground that character draw an audience in make them empathize with her um but then is totally able to go to these really heightened really really intense places you know i mean she yeah exactly like you said she's she's operating at these these you know at a 10 of like fear, anxiety, melodrama, dread, you know, all that stuff constantly. And, um, you know, through the course of the shoot, you know, she's, she's playing every single day and like there for almost the whole day. And like, you know, our turnaround as a company is basically her turnaround as an actor. right? Um, So it's all sort of like designed around her, but, you know, it's just about being in constant communication and, and, you know, we talked so much about the the role beforehand um, and then, you know, just creating a, a a a system of trust between us, where where you know, uh, I you know, I'm trusting her to, to be able to go to these places, and she's trusting me to make sure that like I am curating the, the performance because, like you said, it, it could so easily go wrong. Um, right. But you know, it's 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 this this give and take, and you know, I was so lucky to to have such a great partner in associate with that.
0: Awesome. Uh, last few questions. So throughout the course of your career, did you have any mentors that were particularly helpful either in orienting you with the business of movies or the creative element of movies or how to navigate Hollywood, anything like that? Were there any pivotal mentor figures for you?
1: You know, I think, um, the, the big part for me living in, in LA, you know, I, I was, I was, uh, I had been in LA for eight years before, um, before, you know, I, I sold smile. Um, and you know, you, it's this like constant onslaught of like rejection or like close, but no cigar. And then like, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really brutal thing. I would say what, what was most, um, sort of, helpful to me rather than like specific mentor figures was like, uh, my peer group, mm. I would say, you know, like a lot of friends that I, that I moved out here with, from, from school and people that I met out here really, you know, close friends who were all sort of chasing different versions of the same thing out here. Um, you know, that for me was like one of the most important things that, that helped me keep going was, was the, the sort of friends I had around myself who were doing the same thing. I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great, you know, i I'm reading my friend's scripts. They're reading mine. I'm working on their shorts. They're working on mine, all that kind of stuff. That, that to me was like one of the biggest parts to, to keep going.
0: I would say. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Were there any books or resources that were particularly helpful for you from a career or creative perspective?
1: Um, um, I I don't know about like a career perspective. Here's the thing is that honestly, the industry is changing so rapidly now that like any book immediately becomes stale right right um you know you you read you read like you know i read like william goldman's like adventures in the screen trade which is like an awesome read but like next to useless now really (laughs) i mean you know like you know there's just nothing nothing uh that that is is very helpful there and like i'm not a i'm not a big you know i've never found like books on on craft to be particularly insightful i think you you really learn it by by watching a lot of movies and then doing it yourself. Yeah, Um, You know, one book that I have uh, returned to a few times that I I think I find endlessly inspiring and helpful is um, Stephen King's On Writing. Mm. Um, It's a, it's first of all, even if you're not aspiring to be a writer, it's just a, if you like Stephen King, it's a fantastic read. Um, But it's, it's an insight to him as like working writer, but also talks about like everything that he's dealing with in life around the writing and how he still carves out time to do it. And, you know, um, I will, I will never be able to, to write at the clip that, uh, Stephen King does, but, um, you know, I, I recommend that book to anybody who's, who's either interested in Stephen King or in pursuing writing or, or, or the creative. Yeah. Films.
0: A real fun move is to get it on audible. Cause he does the dictation and it's like, you're, oh, cool. s- yeah, it's like you're sitting having a beer with him. It's so cool. And his intonation yeah. and everything—it feels so personal. Yes, yeah, so that's a real treat if you've already, even if you've already read the book. Um, uh, so, last question: So, before Spielberg does any movie, there's four movies he will always watches. I think I can name them: It's Lawrence of Arabia, The Searchers, Seven Samurai, and It's a Wonderful Life. What was your cinema diet like when approaching Smile? Um, let's
1: see, man. Mine's going to sound like a big pile of shit compared to Spielberg's. But, <laughs> well, um,
0: anything that kind of grounds you in your own sensibility.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say that, um, you know, there were a few films that that I was thinking about specifically um, when it when I was writing Smile um, and getting ready to, to make it. I mean, and I've, I've talked about these before, but, um, you know, Todd Haynes' Safe is like one of my favorite films. Um, you know, the way that he... That he really places you in the anxiety of Julianne Moore's character. It gets you to question what's real and what's not. Um, you know, that was, that was hugely influential on, on smile for me. Um, you know, Rosemary's baby, uh, the, the, the way that character, um, is sort of being acted upon by, by everyone else around her, um, and being told that she's wrong and being gaslit. Um, you know, I, I find that really, um, you know, that was something I was trying to, to achieve with, with Rose. And, uh, and I also find that, you know, a lot of the, the, the blocking and camera movement in that film, um, is, is incredibly inspiring. Um, and then, you know, another film that I've talked about previously, but, um, that I love that, that was on my mind was, uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure. Um, you know, I, I love Japanese horror, uh, in general, but that there's something about that film that just feels so nightmarish to me. And I, I loved that atmosphere. It's like mesmeric and, and it's really strange. Um, and then it also pairs it with the detective angle that I loved. Um, and then, you know, a movie that I'm I'm always thinking about is one of my favorite films of all time is The Shining. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, Kubrick's level of control over everything um, is something that I'll be chasing forever as a filmmaker and uh, and it, 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 you know I've seen that movie a million times and every time I watch it I, I pick up something new out of it um, so that I find that movie so inspiring to watch before I'm going into production because it's like you know it's a it's a it's a, a very lofty thing to look at to be like I, I just want to nip at its heels yeah. you know, which is like impossible to do but um, yeah I, those are those are four movies that I think you know I was definitely thinking about when I was going into Smile
0: very very cool any any parting wisdom for those aspiring filmmakers out there?
1: Oh man. Um, yeah, I mean, you listen, I'm just, I'm, I'm just some asshole that made a movie. So I don't know that (laughs) like, if I'm some like, uh, you know, beacon of, of sage wisdom, but, um, you know, for me, what, what I found helpful was, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of like uh, noise out there that sort of tells you like, oh, like this is popular. This is what you should be doing. This is the sort of thing. This is how you make it in the film industry. Um, and I think it's so easy to get like caught up in all of that. I mean, there's a whole cottage industry around like aspiring screenwriters that I find sort of weird and gross. Um, but like for me, what what I thought was really important was just sort of like, um, you know, ignoring all of the 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 stuff and the and the the stress of like what everyone else is doing and just being like what is it that really interests me as a filmmaker what is it that i came out here to do yeah like like you know what made me fall in love with films in the first place and um and just like do that thing that you really love and and pour all of yourself into it and you know If it's good, like somebody will notice and and you'll have made something that is uniquely you. And that's one of the most important things.
0: Awesome. Perfect place to end. Thank you again. This was awesome.
1: Oh, thank you, man. This is great. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Parker Finn. Number one, do one thing really well in your short. Parker's short Laura Hasn't Slept is excellent and was the catalyst that led him to getting Smile made. You can actually watch Laura Hasn't Slept on the upcoming Smile Blu-ray release or for free on YouTube right now. I actually added a link in the show notes. When it comes to shorts, Parker claims that a lot of filmmakers try to make their shorts do too many things when instead focusing on doing one thing really, really effectively is what makes shorts stand out. Focusing your forces allows your shorts to go deep instead of wide, which is suitable for the short-form medium, which is intended to be a single act, a single movement, and therefore is best suited for a single focus. Parker also recommends pulling off things that are not typical or really difficult to do in your shorts to show what you're capable of as a director. Number two, Start with character and then throw the worst case scenario at them. Parker has spoken at length about how the scariest horror movies are the most powerful when you care about the characters that the terrible things are happening to. Horror filmmakers must be effective dramatists first by enabling the audience to empathize with their characters. Effective horror works through empathy because if done right, your audience will experience the terror through your characters. With this in mind, it's critical to ground your characters with honesty and relatability so the audience can connect with them up front. If you fail to properly build empathy, the audience will simply observe your characters from the perspective of a detached third party, which just isn't as scary as experiencing the horror through them firsthand. Next, once you figure out who your characters are and make the audience care, design and fine-tune the horror element – to be the worst case scenario for them specifically. Number three, follow intuition on set and science in post. Parker mentions that when crafting fear, he typically relies on his intuition when shooting, but then applies more analytical thinking when approaching things like building tension and scares in the edit. Horror relies on a critical balance between science and intuition, left brain and right brain thinking. To craft fear, you need to have an inherent human understanding of what is frightening. In addition, it's important to recognize that horror is a seduction, one that relies very heavily on pacing, which is why your editor is one of your most important collaborators. Also, it's near impossible to be objective about how scary your own movie is because you're likely to be way too close to it. So you may want to do what Parker did and test your scares. Parker would sit people down to watch certain scenes during the edit and observe whether or not they would actually get scared. Number four, don't get caught up in the noise. Parker reflects on his years in Hollywood and constantly hearing all manner of bad advice for filmmakers, of which there is no shortage. He also observed multiple industries aimed at exploiting aspiring screenwriters and filmmakers with really crappy resources and products. Parker considers all of this to be a bunch of noise and says it's important for directors to phase it all out. He recommends focusing on you as an artist. What speaks to you What are you most interested in and what will you be able to focus obsessively on in your movies? These are typically the kinds of projects that break the most new ground because they're personal, unique, and the directors care way more about them. So they're going to work harder on them and they're going to be more powerful projects. Phasing out the noise can help you individuate your vision in films so they can really stand out in the industry. These are the kind of films that the industry needs, and the kinds of films that fans prefer, and honestly, given the recent success of films like Smile, Terrifier 2, and Barbarian, right now could not be a better time for original horror. Alright, episode 100 in the bag. A big, huge thank you to you, dear listener. Without you and your support, this podcast would simply not be possible. Looks like I'm going to be taking a short break before coming back with Season 4, but in the meantime, keep in touch and keep those cameras rolling. Thanks again for listening to The Nick Taylor Horror Show.